This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. It is your boys from the NBA Draft Show on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast feed. My name's Corey Tellaba. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Albert Garbage Time. Gim, Albert, what's popping, dude? Oh, it's, uh, it's the best time of the year. It's the start of a new year. A lot's going on. Excited to talk basketball. Um, we don't really need anything else, Corey. It's, it's, it's a great time. It is. 2024, man. Exactly. 2024. Um, so we had to start 2024 off with a bang. And in doing so, we brought in our friend Dan Purcell, former executive with the New Orleans Pelicans, currently the president of Scout Central. And uh, Dan, what's going on? You ready to talk some NBA draft stock? I mean, I think I, I think I bug you enough with uh, talking about draft stock, but you know, <laughs> on ourselves. So this is just par for the course at this point. Now we're just doing it with an audience, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, it's funny. We were joking before we were recording. It's like uh, excited to to talk this draft. And then it's like, eh, not super excited, but we're excited to talk about the draft. Maybe not all of the players, maybe not top end potential, but we're excited to talk about their games and, you know, kind of where their stock is trending. So, you know, what this episode is, is Last week at NoCeilingsNBA.com, we released um, the updated draft stock rankings, which takes into account six big boards and mock drafts, um, takes some averages, and then you know we figure out a top sixty consensus ranking based on you know those those big boards. So you know these results are not necessarily our own personal opinion; these are just the most updated. Um, results that we have off of those boards. And I think it usually gives a pretty good reflection of where prospects, you know, are and where they're kind of trending, where they might end up going ultimately, because, you know, a lot of prospects started out Justin Edwards first iteration. He was, you know, closer to the top. Now he's, he's fallen behind a little bit. Maybe he falls a little more. We're going to talk, break all of that down um, right now. So let's get it started. First five. We have Alex Sar at number one. I'm excited to talk about that a little bit. Um, Nikola Topic at number two. Zachary Richeshe at number three. Jacoby Walter at number four. Cody Williams at number five. So those are our top five prospects right now based off No Ceilings, ESPN, Bleacher Report, Yahoo, The Athletic, and Tankathon's mainstream ranking. So, Dan, what stands out, if anything, about this grouping to you Um as we, we get into these rankings. I, I think the big thing is lack of star power at the top. Um, you know, most drafts, if you go back the last 15 years or so, 
there's for the most part there's one or two guys that physically and athletically or just skill wise stand out right if you go back you had Wembenyama, Zion Williamson slash John ja Morant um, you can keep going back down the line right guys who impact the NBA game who change the game when they get in there I'm struggling right now finding that guy who can walk in day one because if you get to the top, and I'm sure we'll get into Sar and you know Topic and all these guys, but um, for the you know sake of the first five, it's really hard to say that's the guy. This is the guy. This is the team that should take this guy. I think we're kind of falling into Alex Sar because he's just the best of the worst. Um, and not to say these guys are bad or anything, but I don't think there's an argument here that says there's a Blake Griffin or a Zion Williamson slash John Morant slash uh, Victor Wembenyama in this in the top three, top five. And this is where it starts to really stand out, in my opinion, where NBA teams, as we get closer to the draft, teams with really good scouting departments, teams that really dig on players, not just on and off, you know, on and off the court, but also they're looking at minutia, how they fit with their players, even tighter than what they would maybe. Because if you get Wembenyama, you're building your team around him. I'm not sure there's a team builder right now in the top five. Dan, I had a question um, just off of what you said right there. It does seem kind of like, I guess one way to think about it is if we were looking at the top of this draft, maybe in a normal year where we have one of those 1A type of prospects, um, maybe it would be like we're starting one of those drafts at like the eighth pick or something. Um, and I know you alluded to Sar and Topaz and a couple of these guys, but for you personally, um, is it Sar for you? And, you know, I, I know it's definitely not, you know, maybe he doesn't have like that high end superstar potential like you've been talking about, but whether it's Sar or maybe somebody else that you have at the top, um, what do you think they can offer in terms of ceiling or, you know, potential on the next level? For me, and a lot of people may not agree with me on this one, but I'm actually on the on the board of splitting between Williams and Topic and um, I. Sorry, Walter. Walter, yeah, Jacoby Walter. I'm sorry, yeah, Jacoby. <laughs> so it, it's it's a it's a fit thing, right? So I'm not big personally. I'm not a big. It's a fit thing. We got to draft for fit. I'm more of top end side. How long, you know, I get to control these guys for six, seven years before they ask for a trade. If I'm a small market team or if I'm a larger market team, somebody I'm building around for seven to 10, seven to 12 years, right? So it's for me, it's going to depend on the, on the draft order. If we go right now with the Pistons, right? How can, if, if you, you just drafted Jalen Duran, who's very, very good at his role when, when he's able to play within it, right? And you're looking at a coach who really values the the Duran uh, mold, if you will, at that position. So are you really going to go out and get Alex Sar? And are you going to get that much better? Like, that's the question that starts. I start asking, you know, and then you start thinking about the Memphis situation now with John Moran out. You know, can you put, you know, who fits really well and who has the higher ceiling? It, to me, it's Jacoby Walter, you know, in that grouping. So it's. I don't think if you get Alex Sar in your Memphis, how much better are you getting? Because you already have JJ there. Like, but what what is that? They play the same position in in essence. They play the same spots on the floor. They receive the ball 
in roughly the same area. So how are you supposed to play those guys? And if you think you can play them together, sure, you can take an Alex R or whatever that is. But somebody like Jacoby Walter, who has a defined skill set, defined size, and he has a higher ceiling, I think, as a spot-up shooter, a guy who flies off screens, things like that, those are some of the most valuable things in the NBA. So if I can get a guy who has those elite skills, and those are probably the most valuable thing in the NBA right now, is being able to spread the floor. It's For me, it's a little easier for me to get off SAR at that point if you start looking at the teams. Now, if I'm Chicago, if some Chicago gets in there, well, then it's a crapshoot, you know? Yeah, Vucevic, but Sars probably can play with him. You know, Sar can probably play with him. So it's for me, I'm a big Walter guy. Um, off the court, he's just a great, great human being. But also, you would see in the highlights here. I mean, his feet are so good, and he comes, he flies off screens. And like one of the big things for me when it comes to wings that can shoot. We just can't have you off the dribble trying to pull up. Those are some of the more low percentage shots that guys like that can get, right? And you see right there, you see his athleticism. Like he's not an elite athlete, but he's a very good athlete. So you add all that, and he gives a ton of effort. His work ethic's great. Like everything that comes with a player, you have the size, the position, the positional size, the skill set. And then on top of it, it's what's valued in the NBA the most, right? Is shooting. Like that is, if it's not elite finishing at the rim. It's shooting. Right. So for me, I I, I struggle with um, you know some of the other guys. Now we can start talking about Topic or Topic and these guys, but um, for me, I like Walter. I like Williams. I like the fact that Williams gets downhill. I like the fact that he can finish over bigs. You know, there's a lot to like. And personally, and this is just my personal um, you know statement on drafts in general. I want to draft guys who make if it's going to be top five, especially who impact me day one. They have to be able to impact me because I am telling the world that instead of trading the pick for a vet, I am trying. I am saying this young player that we scouted and we felt was a good fit for our team, he, he is NBA ready. Within the first 20 games, there's his sample size, and he's going to be able to impact an NBA game with one of his elite skills. Or if it's just one elite skill, he's able to impact the game with that. You know, it, it's funny with, with Jacoby um, and Star because the No Ceilings mock draft war room that we had, which if you subscribe to No Ceilings Plus, you have access to. We posted that along with the mock draft today. It took us 20 minutes to pick for Detroit with the first pick. And this is a fun exercise that we do, right? But it was like, you know, and, and ultimately it came down to votes. Um, But everybody was mentioned from... Jacoby Walter to Alex Sar to Topich to Reed Shepard, right? Like, because with Detroit, I think you touch on a really important point. Like you can't just take the, the best, you know, quote unquote raw talent, um, the best athlete or whatever, and not consider the situation that they're in right now, their roster construction. Like you have to do what is best for the franchise, and that is building pieces around Cade Cunningham, if that is indeed your guy. And you see what happened, you know, to Cade's production, like when you take Asar Thompson out of the lineup. You know, he's he's a guy who's struggling with efficiency, and now all of a sudden he's got a little bit more spacing, right? Bogdanovich comes back, and now his efficiency is way up, his assists are up. <clears throat> That's your guy. Jalen Duran had a great rookie year, looks real promising. So you gotta 
kind of build pieces around. If you, you mentioned Memphis, like, look, Ja's going to be their guy until he's not, right? Desmond Bain is going to be their second guy, probably, Jar- or Jaron Jackson. So if they get a pick, they've been searching for that third wing, and they've taken swings on Zaire Williams. They've tried you know, some of the older guys like Jake LaRavia and David Roddy. Jacoby Walter maybe doesn't have that like six, seven, six, eight frame that they kind of wish that, you know, he would, but he's still six, five long and can spot up, play defense, run, you know, just be a guy who can seamlessly fit in. That might be enough in this particular draft for a couple of teams to get what they actually need out of it. Right. Especially when there is no top tier, obvious, obvious talent, that just might be what is necessary to, to push your franchise forward. Even if it doesn't, you know, appear like a, a home run pick, you don't want to swing at a pitch in the dirt just because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You still have to have a good process and be smart about it. You know, Albert, I, um, Tyler and Tyler, we were at the, the hoop summit for a week last year. And it's funny talking about Jacoby because this is a kid who, really didn't stand out mm-hmm. at the hoop summit practices, but it was almost kind of a positive that he didn't because there are a lot of ball dominant guys who are all trying to go get theirs and, you know, like are super aggressive and it's this weird style or whatever. That's a little ugly at times, but like Jacoby's not the guy who's going to demand that he's dominating the ball. He's able to play off of other guys. So, you know, <clears throat> I do think that given However, the draft order shakes out right now. It looks like he is a legitimate candidate, I think, to probably be the top pick. Not that it's a lock. I probably I wouldn't put money on it at this point because um, the odds wouldn't be good enough. And he certainly has red flags, right? Like hasn't really shown a ton of playmaking chops. Um, but depending on where he lands, if he lands in a, a Memphis, if he lands in a Detroit, he doesn't really need to do that. He just needs to play a role, play defense, knock down shots, maybe attack in a straight line and and he can develop that part of his game with a little bit of time, but still contribute in a way that is, you know, could potentially help you out on, on that rookie scale contract. Yeah, no, Corey, I definitely agree with that. And actually, Dan, I had a question for you and I'm actually really glad you're on the pod today, just because, you know, with your experience uh, working for the Pelicans, you're probably the best person to ask, but if we're talking about, and this is probably more like draft philosophy type of thing, but if we're talking about a class like this, where, Whoever you ask, the consensus is going to be, yeah, we don't really think there's uh, a superstar-like talent in this class. Then just to play devil's advocate, I know both of you guys mentioned that you want to look for somebody who not necessarily, maybe not necessarily is like a fit pick, but with somebody that, you know, they have a skill that contributes from day one. So just asking, and that's why, Dan, like, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong or maybe, you know, give different insight, but couldn't somebody also take kind of the devil's advocate type of uh, take and be like, hey, if we know that this class doesn't have a, an elite 1% type of superstar talent, wouldn't it be worth it if you have a top three pick to kind of take a swing on a guy who maybe isn't the consensus, maybe doesn't exactly offer you something from day one, but one day, if, of course, all the different things hit could maybe become a superstar type of talent. Is that too dangerous to be thinking like that in the top three or, I mean, yeah, just if you could share your thoughts on that. I think <clears throat> the good question, I, I think there's a couple answers, but my answer to that is depends on your situation. 
you know, Sam Presti's going to have a lot more leeway to take shots than maybe someone else, right? right? And you you have to remember that this the draft will ultimately get you fired if you mess up one too many times, right? Like it's you may only be one time, it may be two, it depends on the ownership group and how much they can tolerate, right? So you have to take that into account first. That's a real thing. I don't think anybody out here is listening to the podcast doesn't realize that. Like those are real things. Second, if you're taking the pick instead of trading it because you're you're making a statement saying this guy and that we're talking top five. Let's just talk top five. We're not talking 22nd, 38. We're not talking any of that. We're talking top five. You're making the statement that this player, our scouting department, our coaching staff, our group is saying that this player can impact our team. You're making a statement with that. So with that, if you want to swing for the fences, there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. Like, I think if you have a team that's struggling, you got to swing for the fences. You got to. But there's also a level of, like, there's a level of responsibility that comes with that. It can't be reckless. Like, if you're going to take a swing on a guy, his off-court stuff needs to be flawless, in my opinion. Like, he needs to be a worker, culture guy. Somebody's going to walk in and everybody's going to like him. You know what you're getting day one, but he has upside to him, whether that's through the uh, the weight room or, you know, his body development or if it's just skill development. Well, well, heck, I know that my skill coach, ABC, you know, Mr. ABC can unlock his potential. So you have to have not and I, Corey and I have talked about this before. You have you have to have a group that not just a scouting group that's really good, but that coaching development group that is on board. And then on top of it, you have to have the patience to let that guy develop. Cause if you're swinging for the fences, usually you're usually seeing something that's elite. For example, uh, Ron Holland would be somebody that if you took him right now, and I know a lot of people had him at one and two and three and whatnot. Um, but you're kind of swinging for the fences a little bit because he has he everything comes easy to him. He's an elite athlete. He has NBA skills. You look at him. He's like, oh, my God, that guy's an NBA player. But his skill set is so behind that you have to be patient with that. And after 20 games, if you are losing and he is not playing, you're going to have to start answering questions. And now if and what if his skill set is so far behind more than you thought in the beginning, once you get him around NBA players, you get him into camp, summer league, obviously, but into camp and into the first, you know, 20 games of the year. And you're like, oh, we're in for something. Right. You're going to send him down to the G League to get minutes. You're going to send the number three pick to the G League. Now, I know there's a trend, which I and I appreciate and I actually think is great that outside, you know, top six are starting to play in the G League. I think that's a great, great thing. But if you don't have... A the bandwidth from ownership, meaning that you know they're they're you're living and dying on this year or next year or whatever that is, then you probably have to play somebody. You have to get somebody that is going to come in and impact it right away without swinging for the fences. Have to play it safe a little bit because you just don't have that bandwidth. But if you have the bandwidth and you have the future draft picks and the capital to go with that, then yeah, absolutely. As long as I think as long as their personality fits your culture, I think you can take that swing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's head to the uh, comments. Shout out to everybody watching live. Um, Dirty Dancer says, at a certain point, I just go with the guy who I trust to be really solid. Jacoby, number one. We have a 
Uh, Sar still clear number one for me. Um, then we have Mr. Ray in the comments saying Sar might have the upside, but the shooting, finishing, and motors scare me. Lockdown Scout says, if I have the number one, I would consider trading down to get other assets. I think that's a popular take, but I also don't think anybody really wants the number one pick bad enough to trade anything worthwhile. But I think what we're seeing in the comments even is a trend that like, this is a, uh, <clears throat> a weird draft um, in general that people are just going to have disagreements on on where to rank guys. And that's, you know, the fun of it. So let's uh, let's see the our next group. At number six, we have Isaiah Collier, uh, which to be fair, I think is a little skewed because The Athletic has Collier at number one here, um, and that's because Sam Vecini has not updated uh, the, the ranking, and I'd imagine that that will change on, you know, whenever he, he updates that. But then at seven, we have Ron Holland. At eight, we have Mattis Buzelis. At nine, we have Stephen Castle. And then at 10, we have Rob Dillingham from the Kentucky Wildcats. So, Albert, <clears throat> what stands out about this group here from six to 10? I, I mean, Corey, for me, I think it's important what you just mentioned about Collier. Uh, he's had a really, really tough season. Um, definitely not what we were hoping for when we, Corey, even when we did his pod, you know, we felt a lot better about Collier than we do now, just from what we've seen so far at USC. Um, Ron Holland being at seven, I think is interesting as well. I know, Corey, I think you and I are a little bit lower on it. Well, maybe a lot bit lower on him now than we were. And it's funny, Corey, like we did so many of these pods early on for these guys that were perceived top guys and almost i feel like a vast majority of them have fallen off a lot whether you know even guys like justin edwards is a guy who's fallen off a ton but for me the the main name that i need to highlight and i and i would love to hear dan's perspective on is rob dillingham uh, dillingham's a guy that core we've talked about a bunch a guy that mm -hmm. we both like who heading into the season we were really really out on like it was to the point that I didn't have Dillingham on my board and I had a hundred names and to be where he is now, where you and I both have him in our lottery. And I think Corey, you have him a little bit higher than I do on your big board. It, it really speaks to how much he's developed. Um, and we've talked about both his, how much he's developed with his frame and his strength. Right. But his game overall, the decision-making, the scoring, all that stuff is, it's been really intriguing to watch. And I think really speaks to, how volatile this whole exercise is when we're talking about the draft and we're talking about players and Dan and all the other names that you mentioned too. It's, it's crazy to think how much these names go up and down and fluctuate. And, and like you said, like a name like Rob Dillingham is going to be such an interesting name to monitor throughout the season, because as we mentioned, nobody really wants a first, the first pick in this draft this year. I feel like whoever has a first pick is going to keep that first pick. It's not the NFL draft where they have, you know, Caleb Williams and uh, Drake May and a Jalen Daniels where everyone's, you know, falling over themselves tr trying to call the Bears for that first pick. This year in the NBA draft, I think it'll probably stay chalk. I think everyone will just end up staying with whatever pick they end up with. And I think a guy like Rob Dillingham with his dynamic play style and with what he's shown so far in in terms of growth just in year one i think is a really interesting name because teams might really end up falling in love with him and if he keeps playing and developing the way that he has and we know that he had a tough december but he had a good game recently it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how nba teams perceive rob and so maybe this is a good segue to ask dan what are your thoughts on rob and how he's played so far in his freshman season yeah he's actually I mean, I think this is not a surprise to anybody, but he's, you know, he's really pushed, stepped on the gas 
Uh, sometimes when freshmen come in, they have a there's an adjustment period, right? It takes time to catch the speed. It takes time to adjust to defenses, and obviously these are you know Division One players, so this they make adjustments. You know what I mean? And you see a different type of guy every night. So those things, especially for a lead guard, they can be tough, right? I'm super impressed with how aggressive he has stayed. His main thing is, I need to get downhill now. If you watch all of the stuff that Kentucky runs for him, it, it well, majority of it is get downhill, right? Get to that second level because he's been so explosive and now he can run the counter to it. You guys actually just saw it. I was getting to that point. He's now when they go either into a drop or they go under screens, the, the guy's garden goes under screens. He's just saying, okay, well, I'm going to come back and pull up on this. So he's learned the counters in, in a really short period amount of time. And I think that's really, it's going to be really important for him moving forward because the NBA is even one more step higher. I worry that his lack of strength, meaning that when he's down into the paint with the bigs and they're beating him up, beating around in the NBA, those guys don't foul, you know, or, or at least they do a good job. Clint Capella does a great job. Kevon Looney, like these are the centers that you're going to go against. And don't forget when Milwaukee puts Giannis at the five and now he's the guy in the paint, right? So it'll be very interesting to see how he develops. I like where he's at right now. I think there are some off-court stuff you know, with him that he's going to have to get straightened out, and it may hurt him ultimately. But I like his game where he's at. As long as he's focused on getting downhill and making guys better, he's he will be a lottery pick in my my opinion as of right now. Yeah, it's funny because after watching – well, one, I saw him live last year. And I was like, he weighs about a buck twenty-five, soaking wet. Um, every time he touched the ball, it was like some kind of bad chucky shot is going up. I was like, this is an experience that I don't really enjoy watching all too much. And the NBA does not like small guards because you're gonna get picked on on the other end. You know, even the the top elite of the elite, like Trey Young and Darius Garland, ultimately have questions. Uh, the deeper you get into the playoffs. Um, so I was like, I'm out on on Rob. Then Global Jam happened, and I was like, my eyes were correct. I'm out. I wonder what school Rob is going to be transferring to next year. And, you know, we talked about it. I don't know what kind of conversation, if there was one that went on between the regular, you know, the start of the college season and Global Jam, but he completely changed his game to where now he's making quick decisions. Even when he attacks, it's a decisive decision. He's not necessarily dancing with the rock as much. Um, you know, he's way more willing to make the extra pass. He's he's playing, you know, a brand of 0.5 basketball that you didn't always see out of him um, at the lower levels. And on top of it, he's now leveraging the threat of his shot to go and make plays for his teammate. You know, assist percentage over 30. Um, you know, I have a piece on small guards that'll be coming out in the next few weeks and which is based on like, um, just guards that have hit in general, uh, over the last five or six years. And Rob actually stacks up pretty well, um, statistically cause he's rebounding the ball, you know, he, which is allowing him to grab and go and get out and play in transition. And then as far as like, you know, Cal, like he's kind of a good coach Cal guard because, he's a good shooter off the catch and off movement. And, you know, he loves running off floppy and stuff like that. And so that's perfect. It's worked out about as well as possible with that said, you know, we're talking lottery. 
I think I have him at like 14 right now. I really want to have him a little higher than that because I, I think he is so fun. I think he has been so good. And in this draft where I'm not certain about a lot of guys, I do think he has, you know, at least some elite NBA traits and that he is going to be a good shot maker. I think he can play off of other creators. So he doesn't need the ball because he has that off ball stuff. But ultimately, you know, I don't think he's six, three. And although he's definitely worked on his body and gotten stronger, I don't know how much more upside his body has, even with him, you know, ultimately getting his grown man strength. Um, and, you know, we've seen small guards, you know, be physical before. Isaiah Thomas was a really physical, strong guard in the league. But still, there is a cap to how impactful he could be the deeper you get into the playoffs. And I think a lot of teams will be asking themselves, is this somebody that, like, is going to be playable in three or four years, you know, whenever he kind of comes into his own in a playoff setting? And I still don't feel confident about that answer, irregardless of how well I think he's played this year. Yeah, no, well, that's all fair core. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, you know, for me, ultimately, I think someone like him, he's your sixth or seventh guy, right? He's going to, he, instant lightning, right? You, you need that off the bench sometimes, dog days of December, January, uh, February. You know, a lot of guys can't, they just don't have the energy. You're on your third game on the on a West Coast trip. Like, you've been out there five days. It's, you need a guy with some, some juice that can give you points real quick. I don't, that's the, that's my one issue actually with him is I, I don't see him as starter potential. I actually see him as more of a role playing guy and he'll probably play for five teams and be a role player like, who just gets buckets off and makes plays and gets, and he's going to have some games where he has 30 and he's going to have other games where he has seven. And that's just how he is. And I think at the NBA level, that's what I worry about moving forward. That's why I don't think you can throw a top seven pick at him because you're ultimately getting a role player. You're getting a, a starter key reserve at best, maybe at best. Um, I just think there's other guys that obviously before him, but if, if for a, you're looking for someone that you're going to develop and he's going to, you're looking at him to be the sixth guy and you want to be Jamal Crawford role type thing. Obviously he's not as good as Jamal or, or as big, but if he can give you some, some juice off of it, I think he's a good addition and he'll just be a journeyman for his career, but nothing right. wrong with that, by the way, there's nothing no, right. wrong with that. Right, Dan. And I think it's, especially as, as we've kind of, said a lot on this pod considering this class i feel like if you can get like a lou williams jamal crawford nate robinson whatever these types of guy you know this type of guy maybe at pick 14 like you said Corey, or 18 or whatever that seems like pretty good value considering you know how weak we're perceiving this class to be so i agree with both what both of you guys are saying and if he keeps playing well he's going to be able to steal some spots and steal some money in terms of like he's going to bump up boards because people are going to be like well at least he has this yeah whether that's his energy, whether it's a shot making, his playmaking, whatever that is. Yeah, he's got bankable skills, and and that's yeah. what you kind of need because not every prospect in this draft has a full-on bankable skill. Um, all right, moving on to the uh, 11 through 15 range, we have Donovan Klingon at number 11, Reed Shepard at number 12, Ryan Dunn at 13, Kyle Filipowski at 14, and uh, John Salon at... 15 who is a rapid riser um 
up draft boards and I would imagine is going to be even higher on our next iteration of this. So, uh, Dan, what stands out to you about this next grouping of five prospects? You know, I, there's two guys that I, I really want to talk about here. So Reed Shepard, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is on the Reed Shepard train. I think you guys have him at three. I think that if I'm not mistaken, Corey, if, he, if, he, if, went, he went three in our latest mock draft. Right. Yes. Right. So Wizards. I, I appreciate everyone's love for Reed and I appreciate that, you know, they think so highly of him. I mean, he's solid. He's a good player. I just am worried about the comps out there. Like, who is he? Is he Jimmer? I don't Is he JJ? Is he like, who, who is he? And his size is very scary because he's not a point guard. He's a combo who shoots it, shoots the lights out. I mean, there's, he's a great shooter and he has other above average skills, but I, I don't see as of right now. And again, I could be wrong on this, but I've watched him and I, question where where he's going to go like wh- how much better is this guy going to be and who are his comps and why are they what was their result in the nba i think that's my question moving forward on reed and now i, I don't want to create comps yet personally because i want to see him play it out i want to see the sec tournament i want to see him in in the ncaa tournament because we have time still it's not like Today on you know January tenth two thousand twenty four that all three of us are saying these are the guys and this is who they are because they still have time to play it out right the ball still needs to be rolled out and um, that's the first guy and then second I I'm a big fan of Ryan Dunn I'll just be honest with you I'm a I'm a big fan I think length athleticism I think he's catching on quick I'm not a huge fan of Tony Bennett's system offensively the way they play um I, I get it it works and i'm at college it works and i don't obviously i'm not you know hating on him at all because i think you know if it works for you and you know the personnel that you need go for it but i think he if there's a guy who i like to move forward it's ryan dunn because i think he has a lot of room to grow i think his instincts are pretty good and i think he wants to get better and i think someone like him you in this draft if everybody gets caught up with Reed Shepard and Kyle Filipowski and all these other guys, he's a guy that you're going to be able to slot in and sneak and get, especially late lottery, you know, mid first round with somebody I think that could really fill a role for you. And he'll be able to play not year one, in my opinion. I don't I think it's going to take him a year. He's going to have to get some G League reps, whatnot. But I think years two, three and four of that, you know, of that first contract before the extension, I think could be really good for him. If I can't, Corey, I was thinking, Dan, while you were talking, I feel like the two guys that you picked, Ryan Dunn, Reed Shepard, they feel like, they almost feel like polar opposites in terms Mm -hmm. of the types of players that they are, right? You You have Ryan Dunn, who has pretty much every athletic thing that you're looking for. He's got the size, got the length, has the athleticism, right? Um, and now where your kind of question mark is, okay, where, where, where's the skill set at, right? Probably not as high. Then we get to Reed Shepard, who, as you mentioned, right, smaller frame, smaller size, uh, wondering, you know, what his role is going to be, um, what his comp is going to be, right? And I think that's like, that's another aspect of, quote unquote draft philosophy that is so hard right let's say you're uh the bulls and you have the seventh or eighth pick in this draft it's probably higher but i'm just throwing any number right let's say you have the seventh pick and 
on the Bulls board, they have Dunn and Shepard kind of back-to-back, right? I, I feel like that is one of the hardest, and I think it's crazy that those are the two guys that you picked just because I feel like that's where you really start to split hairs, right? Like how much do you put stock into the skill set and, you know, the 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 IQ of a guy like a Reed Shepard versus athleticism, upside, um, all that stuff, the, the tools that Orion Dunn has. And so, Ryan, if you can, I mean, Dan, sorry, <laughs> Dan, if you can, can you speak to how difficult that is when it comes to the valuation process? Because it, it's I can see it both ways, right? Like I could see one front office being like, we'll go with the skills guy. Or like we're going to go with a Reed Shepard. Maybe he becomes Mark Price. Right. And then you look at a Ryan Dunn and you start to wonder, okay, Ryan Dunn, maybe he becomes who knows? Like some some front office exec might be like, well, maybe he has the ceiling of a Kawhi Leonard. Who knows? Right. But just wondering for you, how does that conversation kind of play out for you or from your experience working, you know, uh, with the Pelicans? Yeah, I think I, I think that's you start when you start getting that way, you start talking about what can I what can we as an organization control? What can we teach? What can we control? What can we steer the player towards? Not take him there, but just help steer him, right? So for me, I would rather have a long athletic guy who has a motor personally because I can teach him over time, repetition, skills, shooting, finishing, uh, even passing to a ex- certain extent, I can get them reps doing that stuff. But I can't teach him to be seven one wingspan. I can't teach uh, six, you know, uh, six ten and with a. I'm not saying Ryan has this, but like a forty, you know, four inch vertical. Like right. I can't teach those things. But what I can control is skill development. I can control where they play, how they play, when they play. So if I have to choose between two. I'm going with the long athletic guy, personally. I'm I'm going with that guy. And you know, it's not and I'm not saying Reed Shepard won't be a good player in the NBA. I'm not saying that, but for me, I would much rather have a team of length. At least I know defensively I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be in the passing lanes. I'm going to be able to deflect a lot of passes. I'm I'm going to be able to make them less efficient because they're not going to be able to get pocket passes as cleanly. They won't be able to run pick and rolls. They won't be able to get second side action as clean as if I had a shorter non-athletic team. And those long closeouts, the length counts. When you get that ball reversal to the weak side and you have long closeouts, length matters because it sometimes it literally in the playoffs a lot of the times is the difference between a shot going in and a shot not going in. I mean, my question to you guys is, let's just say front side, strong side didn't work. We get to the second side and we reverse the ball. Who, and you're on offense, who are you more afraid of making a basket or scoring against? Tell me, Reed Shepard or Dunn? Who 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 are you like, oh man, you know, he's probably, I got to think twice because this dude is coming at me. Who is it? <laughs> well, I... Yeah, I would say Ryan Dunn for sure. I mean, it's um, a no-brainer, and that's yeah. and that's what I'm saying. Like, it can read, make enough offense to be playable on defense because we're talking about he's going to have to guard Damian Lillard. He has to guard Drew Holiday. He has to guard even Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Like, he has to guard these guys. Like, we keep forgetting that if he's our third through eighth pick, tenth pick, who does he have to guard? 
And I don't see Reed Shepard guarding 90% of the starting point guards in this league. I don't. I think, to be fair, there's not a whole lot of, you know, it's not a long list of guys that can guard the Damian Lillards and, and those guys. Make I it hard, Reed, then. Just make I it th- hard is the, the argument, then. I think Reed could make it hard. I think Reed is a, from an IQ standpoint, from a positioning, quick hands. And I think that, you know, obviously the wing, the, the short wingspan is is not great. I would love if he was 6'4 with a 6'10 wingspan. That would rock. Oh, man, um, he'd be the number one pick in this draft. <laughs> you know, but, um, <laughs> but I do think that he does have a, like, a better just frame. Like, he's a little sturdier. Um and like even like a guy like Rob Dillingham and is like I just I think his frame is a little bit more uh suitable to like absorb contact. Um and he'll get, you know, he's got to get way stronger, but he's like 18, 19 or whatever. So um I I do think Reed is one of the anomalies though, like for short guards, just because I mean what he's doing right now, and we got to see if it translates for the rest of the the season, obviously. But what he's doing right now, I mean he's having a defensive impact on the floor and it, you know, a lot of it is with the quick decision-making his quick hands, just being able to time jump shot contest. He he's doing stuff that like other guards of his ilk just aren't really capable of doing. Right. Um, you could tell he grew up in a basketball family right. uh, and, and lived and breathed it um, with, with Dunn though, like he's one of probably one of the more special defensive prospects that yeah. we have seen. His question ultimately will be, is he special enough that like if he doesn't develop any kind of jumper, that he's going to be playable the deeper you get into a playoff setting? Like, Are you going to be in a situation where teams are just going to be like, you know what? Go stand in the corner. We're going to let you shoot until you prove that you can make us pay for it. You knock down the first one? Great. Can you do it again? I'd love to see it. Now, what I'll say is I don't really hate his jumper form. You know, I, do, I I think it's going to be a process because I think with shooting, so much of it goes beyond the mechanics. When you're somebody who struggled as a shooter historically, like it just becomes a, a as much or more of a mental game than anything like that, right? Like if you're thinking about your like the form could be great, but if you're thinking about it when you're shooting, especially like you said when those closeouts are coming with that that length, it gets tough. But he is a guy that's strong and he's, he's tough and Virginia guys make good pros, you know, like it's, they just, they're coached well. And when they get to the, to the league, they're, they're ready. I mean, we had, we had done, I think at six on our first mock, you know, Mm -hmm. because I I think that there's a, a real world where, especially you start getting into workouts, you know, you're doing shooting drills. All of a sudden you're open, you get a little hot, you see the frame, you see the athleticism. It's not hard, especially in this draft, to see this kid um, to, to go in the top five it, it's, it's not hard at all. So it, it is a, a fun little grouping that we have here because, you know, it's mostly outside of uh, Salon. It's a bunch of like productive college guys with maybe less than, you know, elite perceived upside that some of the other more raw guys have. I think it's, it's interesting that, that grouping is kind of all paired together, but yeah, I mean, you could see Dunn like, you know, in our rankings right now, we're the highest on him at, at, you know, we have him inside the top 10. 
that'll start to catch up as you know we realize that these guys that came in with all this hype and we're still trying to wait it out, give them a little more time. The more time that passes, and you know, Isaiah Collier doesn't turn it around. Right? Ron Holland continues to shoot twenty seven percent on jump shots or whatever. Like those guys eventually are going to fall into the spots where I think like their play ultimately lands them. And, and I think the thing with Dunn that has that he has to worry about in his camp. He's one. Of, like, I, I agree with you fully. Like when you get to the agent workouts. And he just has a day. Let's just say he has a day in the agent workouts in May, right? He's going to jump five spots just people because people are going to say, oh, athleticism, length. Oh, my God. And he can hit an open jumper. So yeah. when we're running our stuff, we can stick him in the corner sometimes on offense, and he's going to at least hit 35% of, of the corner threes, right? So there will be that. I, I, I think this is really interesting that we're talking about both Reed and Dunn, and yet we haven't touched on Bazellus. And we really haven't talked about Holland because if you really think about none, the antithesis of none in his grouping is going to be Bazellus, a less athletic, more skilled big guy who is still trying. He's playing better. I don't know if anybody's been watching. He's been playing better, but he's still got a long way to go. So it's interesting to see because this is this draft like this is this draft. We're sitting here talking about Reed Shepard and and and, uh, and Don or Don or whatever these guys are, and like, and then we haven't even touched Bazellus, who was is number one pick in another in in more mocks. And it, I'm sitting here going, this is the point of this draft. Right. It is the most wide open draft. And if you just do your stuff and you highlight your NBA elite skill wherever you're at, you literally move up four spots. Or in the case if you're top three, you can move up one. Isaiah Collier, you just mentioned him, Corey. He could in three months be the number one pick. Like we could all be sitting here going, oh my gosh, he just woke up one day and he became this point guard that everybody thought he was. That's where we're at in this draft. And if you look at last year's draft, we were not there. We were not anywhere near this. The draft before that, we were nowhere near this at this point. We were nowhere. Everybody, like I'll just take last year because we have recency bias, right? Last year, everyone knew who number one was going to be. And then number two and three were pretty good, too. Brandon Miller maybe was a surprise. Surprise. Yeah. Right. Not for us. Right. Yeah. right. But that's what I'm saying. Quote, unquote, surprise. Yeah. This year, I li- we we could be doing this uh, May 1st or June 1st. All three of us could just come back and do this again and say, Wow, Bazellus is the number one pick now. Isaiah Collier is the number one pick. Ron Holland decided that he was going to play like he should, and now he's the number one pick again. Like that's this draft. Yeah, I, and to be honest, I fully expect that to happen in May or June, and we're yeah. still trying to figure it out a little bit. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, the the high school hype is what it is, right? Yeah, you know, like it's it's easy to fall in love with mixtapes and whatnot, but like, you know, we can be surprised by Collier and Buzelis and, and these and Holland sliding. But, you know, if, if you watch the games, all the signs were there, you know, it, it, it's really not super shocking. And, and this draft has had this reputation for a while now. Right. So none of this is, is actually super surprising when it comes to like, everything being so up in the air and, you know, we're seeing all these upperclassmen, you know, maybe be ranked where they necessarily wouldn't have been in, in other drafts. I mean, for instance, you know, right now, Kevin McCuller 
trending towards being, you know, a potential lottery pick, at least based on his draft stock. He's at 16 right now on, on the January draft rankings. Um, and, you know, again, like, you know, probably weighed down a little bit because the athletic hasn't updated their board. I maybe that, you know, he, he's a little higher there and all of a sudden he is in the lottery on the next, um, addition is a guy who's a fifth year college player. Right. And he, right. he, he at least is in the conversation to be a lottery pick. Um, and I like, I, I love Kevin, you know, this is a guy I've spent two summers with, um, watching him train, watching him work out, hone his craft, get that jumper better. Right. We, we've all known about the defense and, and how he could be like this kind of star role player. Um, I didn't see the shot coming along like it, like it has even, you know, being in gyms with him uh, and seeing how hard of a worker he is and how great of a teammate he is and buying into the Kansas culture and and all of that. I I didn't necessarily see this coming with that said, you know, it's easy for a lot of the analysts that are contributing to these rankings to come up with a guy like McCullough and say, all right, he's a lottery pick. He's a borderline lottery pick. As somebody who's worked in a front office, how hard is it to actually, you know, go to the the boss, go to the big guy and be like, we want to take this fifth year college player at pick 13, at pick 15, and this is why we want to take him over Justin Edwards, who was ranked, you know, in the top five coming into the year. And yeah, he had a little bit of a down year but you know Kentucky players sometimes don't get to show their whole thing maybe he wasn't in the whole system they had Wagner and Reed and um Dillingham and you know this loaded backcourt so he didn't get to how hard are those conversations and those debates you know um in an NBA front office for me it's it's a numbers game right so I'm sitting here going he's 20 I think he's 23 and correct me if I'm wrong I think he's 23 draft day um so I have a 23-year-old. Now let's start counting contracts, right? Let's start counting extensions. Let's start counting. Let's just say I have him for six years before he demands a trade, right? That means I'm getting a guy who's going to be 30 on the second, on the non-rookie extension. Is that a guy? And obviously it's down the road. I mean, you know, this is, but this is the splitting hairs thing that you have to think about because it's important. Odds are you, you're trying to keep your job. You're trying to draft well, sign free agents well. And you, the, the, the shorter, in my, in my opinion, the shorter the view you have on your roster, the more in trouble you are. So if you're taking McCuller, you're saying I'm taking a guy, A, who I think can play because he's five years in and he should be able to play as at a 20, as a 23-year-old in the NBA who you know has talent. He should be able to play right away. If you have a misstep with him anywhere along the way, he's now 25. He's now 27. At what point are we saying there's nothing we can do? He is who he is. Whereas a guy who's 19... I'm going to develop him through his his learning years, that 19 to 23, 24 years. Those are the learning years, right, where you really feel the league and you get on the travel schedule. You understand what time of year to really turn it on, you know, things like that. Like there's a feel after that, right? And now I'm coming up on the first extension. My guy's 20, 21, 22, rather than 26. And those three years are big. And now I'm controlling the development and I'm controlling moving forward. Now, is it foolproof? No, this is not a foolproof thing. 
I like older guys. Like I love Draymond coming out. I thought he was way underdone, like way underdone. I, I, I can put it, I can show you guys my notes literally way underdone on him. And it's not a matter of being old. It's, a, it's just a numbers game from there because let's say everything works out perfect, right? What's the maximum I'm going to get out of him? 10 years, most likely at a high level. We'll call it 10 years at best. Mm-hmm. I can get 13 out of the guy that maybe is 19. I can get 13 years out of him. So now, let, me, let me ask you a question about this. And, that's what, about- and, no, and by the way, no team stays with a team for 13 years, but those are yeah, things you got to process. You have to process right. that. Yeah. So with a guy like, let's say a guy like McCullough, it doesn't even have to be Kevin McCullough, right? A little bit older because there's a few of those guys in this class. You know, there's a Dalton Connect who we might talk mm-hmm. about. There's a few of the, the, these older guys. You know, we talk about second contracts, right? With a guy like McCullough, and if it's, if you're a team taking him, you're not taking him to be a superstar player. If he develops into that, great, right? But chances are you're like, this guy kind of fits our age timeline. Maybe my job is on the line. I need to take somebody who maybe can contribute a little bit more right away rather than this shot in the dark at this part of the draft, which when you're swinging at 16, there's not a whole lot of Giannis's out there, right? <laughs> Most of the time, um, you're not getting like a super duper star. You get to the end of that first contract, you know, he might be 27, 28, but now you're getting that rookie extension contract in the prime years. Is that potentially a better outcome than, you know, maybe getting, yeah, you might not get as much time with him, but you're getting years where you might not have somebody for 13, but maybe you have them for seven. You know, maybe you have a Taj Gibson who was with the Bulls for a while, right, before he moved on. And Taj was older, but, and God bless him, still hanging on roster is one of my favorite players ever. But Mad he respect. Was able, he was able to contribute, and, you know, Bulls fans were on Real GM. Why is Carlos Boozer playing? We, you know, Taj Gibson is out playing him, this and that, because he was ready to go, and then you get him on that next deal. It's a little cheaper, to where he could, he's almost still a, you know, he was still a bench guy because of his contract, even though he was, you know, ready to go and, and playing effectively for that time. So is there a little bit of a benefit from a front office perspective of having that potential where, yeah, we might have him for seven years um, before he moves on, but it's going to be a little cheaper than maybe a guy that we're going to have to go sign in the free agent market where we're going to have to go overpay, you know, by X amount. I think that's where the scouting department really has to come in. I mean, if you, uh, if you have experienced guys who can handle that, yes, absolutely. I think that's in a perfect world. In the in my experience, the NBA is not perfect. This is not a perfect world. If you lose one season to that guy to injury, tears his ACL, ruptures his Achilles, tears a hamstring, and actually, if you've seen uh, on a side note, like more injuries are actually happening to the Achilles and calves rather than core injuries, hip and and uh, like hamstrings and you know quads and things like that it's more hip isn't it, it's, it's isn't more it linear how like that come, how, how did these things come in waves like it was micro fracture knee surgery for a while then it was acls yeah. now it's a kill it's weird but it's because the way the game has been now oh, the systems yeah. that have played and that's why you have these because you have strength coaches who sometimes have been there for 20 years and they're going to go with what works and again that's there's nothing wrong with that but there always has to be a curve of you know that okay things are adjusting and that's where really good strength and conditioning and medical teams come in. They're, they should be always adapting. Like the really good ones out there adapt really well. 
and they're always adding and learning and thinking and seeing where the load is. That's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast. But you know, if you're, you're running into that, if he's getting injured at 21, a, the body's going to recover faster. It's going to recover better historically. And then B you, that year that you lose, you're not going to have to so much hurt, you know, hurt when he's, cause now he's 20, three coming back instead of 29, 30. And then it really recurring knee injuries start happening more and more. Not knee injuries, but like joint injuries, I should say. Things that really deal with cartilage and, you know, where the joints, you know, are are coming together. Like that's, those are things that front offices, you know, have to think about too. And that's not pretty. This is not a pretty conversation, Corey. I don't know if all the (laughs) listeners are going to be like, I want to hear a medical podcast today, but it is, it is some of the most important stuff out there. Well, I took anatomy and physiology. And hey, you're an expert. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> all right, let's take a uh, a look at some of the other you know names. We had Justin Edwards talked about his slide a little bit. Tyler Smith from the G League Ignite probably uh, been probably been the the best G League Ignite prospect. Um, Tyrese Proctor at 19. Bobby Clintman down in the NBL uh, at number 20. Um, Next grouping after that, Kalel Ware at Indiana, number 22, Oso Iguodaro, 23. It's getting tough in here right now, Corey. It's getting rough in here. You're taking us through. You're taking us through. Go ahead. Trey Alexander at 24 and DJ Wagner at 25. Um, I want to talk about Kalel Ware a little bit because he's an interesting case, and I went to see Indiana versus Rutgers last night, and I saw Ware for the second time in person. So why not keep it a little bit topical here? Um. Lowair was a you know five star recruit goes to Oregon has a weird year right transfers to Indiana um, not sure that's the best fit for him stylistically but it is a fit in which he is playing enough minutes to where he's going to be on the floor almost in a guarantee because when he comes off the floor things could get rough for that Indiana team also Indiana might have the worst crop crop of guards and you know high major basketball. It's, it's a, a, a tough scene down there. Um, but this is a guy who had this weird year. Obviously the talent is pretty apparent with Kalel Ware, right? Like he's huge and it stood out. Like when, when I saw him last night, um, cause the first game I was, you know, up a little bit, I was court level last night and I was like, this dude is massive. His length is for real. You know, so much of this game is about intel, right? Like, so much is about, like, the perception of you were this guy who was supposed to be a lottery pick last year. What went wrong? Was it the system? And has he done enough to kind of shift those perspectives that teams might have on him? Because the knocks on him aren't great, right? It's the motor. And anytime you got a a, a big man with motor concerns – not the best in the world. Um, right. You know, he's, he's a theoretical shooter more than a real one. Like, so how hard is it for where to shake those concerns or is it just like, Hey, in, in a draft like this, maybe this is you know a chance that you're willing to take on a guy who at least has that blue chip talent and has not been like bad this year. Um, even if he's not, you know, blowing the roof off the stadium every night. 
you know, historically, bigs like him are usually taken in 15 to 23 just because you have talent, you have size. And again, what can we control as a team, right? We can control development. We can we can send to the G League now that it's being more accepted that first rounders go there. We have as long as we have a development plan for him, we can unlock him. I am I'm interested, Corey. I haven't seen him in person. What was his movement like in person? Was it flu like was it better than it was last year? Like what was your take on that? I again I have not seen him live. I've only watched him on tape. So I'd like to hear what you saw body wise. Yeah. So he didn't have to do a whole lot of like moving out on the perimeter. Um he really was pretty much glued to the basket. I mean, you know, Rucker's big Cliff Amore's not stepping out to knock down shots, so he's giving him space. Amore did knock down a sh- like an 18-footer in his face, which, you know, if you're Indiana, you're like, you know, great, do it again, right? Um the thing I noticed about him is he did change a ton of shots near the rim just with his presence. And when he came out and uh I think Simpson took a mid-range shot from the elbow at one point and you could see wears length and just get a contest up and just being long and Simpson had to have shoot this high arcing, you know, mid-range shot that was not even close to going in because he was thinking about wears length. So he definitely had that aspect. He's a little bit slow to load off the ground. Like he's not super quick twitchy on the defensive end to where like a, you know, a guy like Derek Lively was so good at blocking shots last year because he was able to get up off the ground. And then he was able to get up off the ground again, a second time on the second jump um, to go along with that length. It seemed like he just, he didn't have that, that quick twitch athletic ability. Now he's so long and tall and he is still a good athlete that, you know, on a possession in the first half of like nine and a half minutes ago, he sent a shot into the first row, but you know, there's a reason that he's not, you know, he doesn't have that elite, like 13, 14% block rate, you know, that the elite shot blockers have this year. The other thing is that he kind of would get jumpy sometimes and he would jump when he's not supposed to, but then he would kind of not jump when you wanted him to jump. He was having trouble kind of processing all right, should I go attack this um, this layup attempt or or not? So th- that was kind of the things. And, and, you know, jumping out at a shooter, you can coach that pretty easily to get, to get that basic stuff out of somebody. But, like, trying to figure out when I'm blocking a shot that, like, near the rim, and it's only going to get harder because everything's faster in, in, in the league and the athletes are way better. I mean, you know. God bless the Rutgers athletes. Next year, it's going to be a show, but this year, it most certainly isn't. You know, it, when when you're at the college level playing it against a backcourt like Rutgers has, and you're having those issues trying to gauge when to attack a, a shot at the rim and when not to, that's the kind of stuff that worries me. But, you know, he was still really productive. He had 17 boards. He had three blocks. You know, he was finishing pretty well around the rim. So, you know, I, I think where is like a, a perfectly fine swing in this range because he at least has, you know, a a range of outcomes. If he ends up in the right place where you could be like, I can see how he is going to contribute to a team. He has the athletic tools. The NBA, you know, asks for from that spot. He's long. If he works hard, right team, right place, right time. I could see it working out, but you know, I, I I don't know how well he's going to move on the perimeter. Um, Ultimately, because I don't, I do think he can be a little plotting, but like, 
maybe that stuff can get better with, you know, strength and, and conditioning and an NBA program that he hasn't, you know, gotten thus far. If if I can, guys, I feel like this conversation that you guys are having about Kolo, where if we extrapolate this a little bit and look at the center class as a whole, I think that's where we end up having a really interesting conversation, right? Before we juxtaposed Reed Shepard and Ryan Dunn, right? And in this conversation, we can juxtapose a Kolo Ware and a Zach Eady, right? Um, Donovan Klingon, right? Uh, Kyle Filipowski. So, Dan, if you can... I feel like, and also before we talked about Alexander Saar as well, which is another big. And I think this class is a really interesting one because of these types of guys, right? Even in, you can even throw in an, uh, a Dembona from UCLA who, you know, is really struggling this season. But of course, we can point to a lot of different things as to why he's having such a bad year. But overall, this center class, if we're talking about youth, we're talking about talent, we're talking about athleticism. And then when we start to look at it through the lens of the NBA, right? And what type of centers are successful right now, whether it's a superstar center like a, a Joel Embiid or on the other end of the spectrum, if you just have like a five who's like a rim runner, rim protector, Mitchell Robinson, Rudy Gobert type. I, I think, Dan, it, looking at this class from a front office perspective, considering all these names that I kind of rattled off for you here, how do you view this class as a whole? And how do you kind of stack these guys up against each other, considering everything that I just said on top of the fact that this is a weaker class? Are you asking for the bigs or are you asking overall for, for everyone? For, for the big specifically. Yeah, it's, you know, after SAR, and again, I want to make sure I say, I, I don't dislike SAR. I mean, maybe somebody people think that. Like, that's not... Uh, at six, he's an unbelievable pick. Like, it's an unbelievable pick at six. Like, he's got great upside, great, you know, he's really developed his offensive game. He stays aggressive. Defensively, he's got good time. Like, it's everything you want, right? It's just different when it's the third pick. It's different. So, you know, I struggle because you can add Bazellus to this because he is technically going to play that grouping, right? I'm not, I've never been a big clinging guy. Um, I understand his value. I understand where he's going. I understand where his spots on the floor are. I get all that with the foot in injury. It makes it a little bit, e- it makes it even harder. Um, you worry about bigs with feet, with foot injuries. It's, it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty history. All right. And you know, it's, you really start getting into fifth Mets and ankle issues and you know, all that stuff. And it's, Taking broken feet, broken ankles, that it can get really bad real quick. So when it comes to my philosophy on bigs in the draft, unless he is Dwight or Shaq or Akeem or, you know, Blake Griffin, like it's somebody that changes the way your team plays the game and the way that defenses you're playing against change the way they play their base defense, right? They adjust to the personnel. So I don't really see a big in this class that is that, right? So now we have to move down to the next tier. So that's – and I'm I'm going to throw a name that I think maybe some people maybe not ready for is, uh, is Missy from Baylor. I, I actually think that you can get the same value from all of these guys. And who has the next highest upside? And, and to me, it's Missy. He does what NBA bigs do. He's Clint Capella version 2 in terms of where he was in his development now and where he could be. I I love the Clint Capella mold. Corey and I have always talked, and I've always probably brought Clint Capella up like 38 million times <laughs> because 
if there's a quintessential NBA center who you can afford, it's him, right? We've seen that teams that move their payroll to that center position, usually either they get let go within two years or they get in such a crunch with their their cap sheet because the NBA is a guards game and you get stuck in these contracts for these bigs unless it's Jokic, unless it's Embiid. And those guys don't come around all the time. I hate to break it to everybody. There's not a lot of Joel Embiid's hanging out anywhere. There's just not. So for people to say that, oh, well, Jokic this and Embiid that, Jokic was a second-round pick. Embiid had back issues coming out. They didn't even know if he was going to walk again. We're going to walk straight up at one point. He didn't play much. I mean, how long? How many years was it before he even stepped on the court? I mean, it was forever. And at Kansas, he 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 missed a lot of games. If you guys right, he was missing games at Kansas. Right. So, for everybody that argues those two, like, yeah, you can. Okay, they're anomalies. They were a second round pick and a guy who they the Sixers took a risk on because he just had a lot of talent, but he didn't even know if he was going to walk at some point. So it's. It's really hard, I think, overall to build these teams. And I think that's why that 15 to 25 is a really good spot to try a big, a la Houston with Sanguine. They took him, I think it was 15 they took him. And correct me if I'm wrong, I thought it was 15. He's in that range, 15, 16. Yeah, I think it was 15 off the top of my head here. You take those run, you take the chance at those guys, right? Dallas felt they could take the chance earlier last year with Lively, which is great. Lively had NBA skills right over him. I, I'm, That's I the mode, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, but that again, that is what I'm saying. It's the how at what point is Capella good enough for what we're doing at 21 years old or 22 years old? That Capella mold, right? You look at Kavon Looney. Kavon Looney is one of the most efficient. Best centers, because I don't really call centers, but if people wanted to add centers to the list, why wouldn't more teams not want Kevon Looney? He guards the best big on the other team. He shuts people like Anthony Davis down. He he makes guys work for everything. Jokic has a hard time with him. Why are we not looking at those molds of bigs rather than we're always trying to get Jokic and Embiid? Those guys are anomalies. <clears throat> you might get one. Maybe we get one in this draft. Maybe. I don't see it yet, but... Or maybe in the next draft or the draft after that, you get one. You get one of them. Even the Nuggets took Nurkic over Jokic in the same draft. There you go. Perfect example of that, right? So I I, I totally forgot about that. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, okay, these bigs are this, that, and this, because it's a crapshoot with them. And historically, this is a guards game in the NBA. And also to an extent, guard forwards slash, you know, guys like LeBron who can handle the ball and have size. You know, it's 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 Paul a guard. George. Yeah, Paul George, Kawhi, like these are bigger guards. Really, that's what Paul George is. He's a bigger guard, right? right? So you get those guys and they can play pick and roll and they can get downhill and they can facilitate. It makes the game way different for everyone else. Now, how many centers in the league are making that impact? It's two, maybe two and a half if you take uh, Sanguine. Oh, okay. No, as a center. Giannis right. is a is a it, Giannis is a forward. Like he can play. He literally switches one through five defensively. He can play. I mean, Giannis is. I used to call him freak, right? That's why he is. Right. But He's like, <laughs> but I would really like to see in the past how many times in a draft are bigs being taken. Jackson Hayes is a perfect example of why you don't draft Dang. upside bigs. 
in the top 10, top 15 lottery. And this is where we're getting to is, well, Klingon has a good offensive game. Yeah, but he can't move on the NBA level. He can't, like, I'm not saying you have to guard and stop people. Guarding just means you make it hard for people to score. You know, uh, the the jazz coach always talks about, you know, the the at the lowest the best defensive teams the top five defensive teams give up I think it was a hundred and five points a game and the average team is at a hundred and eleven. All we're trying to do is figure out how to get seven points, like how to decrease their scoring by seven. So is Klingon doing that? No, nope. I, I don't see that. Is is Bezelis? No. So your big is an anchor to your defense in today's NBA. That two right. nine is hard. Two nining is hard being bottom weak side and having to get in and out of that lane in two point in three seconds. Right. That's hard. It's not an easy thing. Right. And then you also have to be able to press up in ball screens. You have to be able to ice like there's so many things that you have to do. Does Klingon do those things? I don't think so. Does Bazellus? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't I don't know. But I can tell you right now that Missy will. I can tell you that Sar will. You know what? You see what I where I'm going right. with yeah. this. So yeah. do I want to just try to get somebody who's talented like Jackson Hayes, but can't remember a play like th- these are the things that like Gafford in the second round, right? For the, look the at the value. Look at the Mitchell Robinson, another okay. value pick. If yep. you look there across the board, if you're if you're looking at it just from basic probabilities, you know, scores, I can find a average to above average starting big in the second round late first and if i really think a guy has upside let's just say i think missy is a really good prospect he does the simple stuff really well and then he just doesn't do anything else that you're you want your diving crashing and screening big to do and if i can get him at 20 or 18 well in this draft you might get him at 16 because it's this draft but why would i waste a pick on if I have a if if I'm like Oklahoma City or San Antonio or something like that, why why would I waste another pick on that? Like I just don't see the value personally. I would rather take a run at, uh, you know, if I'm in the top three, I think I said like Cody Williams or or Walter or um, I'll give you some more names. And by the way, Filipowski and Edie are like, I like Edie if he goes to Phoenix. I think you guys had him at uh, had him. going to Phoenix. Like that's a good fit. And why is yeah. that a good fit? Because he doesn't have to do anything. He's going to have spacing. He can finish at the rim. All you have to do is get down to the spot. That's all you have to do. Yeah. So like, and he's that, ready to go right away. Yeah. For a team that needs somebody who's ready to go right away. Exactly. But then you look at Filipowski and you're like, uh, I mean, he's okay. Like he's okay. Oh, Missy, Missy ate his lunch. Exactly. What happens when you have a long, athletic, big who crashes, runs the floor, sets good screens, and finishes at the rim? It's going to win over those over those Filipowski type guys every in my opinion 90% of the time. But at that point, that's why I'm saying in this draft like I'm going to take a runner on Dunn. I'm going to take a runner on uh Holland even, Stefan Castle. Like I'm I'm going to you know, you can talk to Saloon, Salon, I don't know how to say his name, Saloon Salon, I don't want to say it. Like I'm making runs at these guys. Like I, in my head, if I'm going to go for it, I'm going to put my money on a big wing, who's a big guard, or a point guard who can control everything that I'm going for, or a guy who has just an elite skill set like Jacoby Walter, and he just gets his shot off, and I know I can set good screens for him. I can find e- Missy 
to set screens for Jacoby Walter at any point. Gafford, I can find them at any point. They're in the G League right now. Mm-hmm. Like I can name five in the G League that probably could play in the NBA right now if they just, like, literally if they just get a shot because they're just going to do basic stuff. I just want to say 2020 draft, the Phoenix Suns took Jalen Smith with the 10th pick and they left Tyrese Halliburton on the board. <sighs> Another I, example. And for me as a Nick fan, we took Obi <sighs> Toppin and left Tyrese Halliburton on the board. So I get exactly what you're saying, Dan. And it's a, and it's a thing I, I can kind of understand why front offices may take the bait on a guy like an Obi Toppin or a Jalen Smith, but to leave someone that skilled like a Tyrese Halliburton, who I understand I had questions about him as well, but everything that you're saying, right? Grabbing a point guard, grabbing a big guard, grabbing a wing who has the potential to be something, you know, that, that can run or lead your team versus grabbing a guy like an Obi Toppin, who even in college had major question marks, grabbing a guy like Jalen smith who most people didn't have going in the top 10 you can see why it becomes problematic so i'm right there with you because yeah, guys like chet guys like Wemby, they don't make it to the 11th right. pick they don't no they don't right like no. you know that those guys are you know where their value is lying if you want them you better have a top two three pick right like there there are very few questions um with the with those guys obviously you know the, the strength and blah 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 but like as far as the basketball and how they would fit and outside of staying healthy very few questions at pick 11 pick 10 whatever jalen smith is you're gonna have a pretty long list of questions right like yeah so you maybe taking some guy you know a guy with some creation ability is you know a, a little bit smarter of a decision you know De- devin vassell right like somebody like that in that draft is who you're just proving the point here, like I hit yeah, over fist, 100%, like yeah, hundred percent. Maxi went twentieth, twenty first in that draft. So quickly, yeah. don't forget quickly. quickly. Like yeah. I mean, you're you're just you are literally proving the point of what I'm saying. It's just over right. and over. I can find Mitchell Robinson later in the draft. I can find Gafford. I, I and and I just use Jackson A's because he's fresh in my mind still. Of I was screaming, like screaming at the TV, saying, "Don't do it!" I get it; it's a fit, and he's athletic. I get it, but don't do it. If you, you know, and look at him now. I mean, he's he's a fail. I mean, he's a failed. What was he the six six pick, seven pick? I'm I'm not sure. Eight, on top yeah, of eight, like eh, somewhere in there, top ten. Yeah. He was a top ten pick, and it's failed because although freak athlete, if you can't think the game, and you, like I could have got Jackson Hayes at twenty five. Mm-hmm. Someone else at 25 who does more than Jackson Hayes in an NBA game. And that's where I think you got to be disciplined when you are evaluating for all the people listening. Like, in my opinion, you when you evaluate, it's not just ABC. It's literally how do they impact the game? Because that's what matters. The, the game is what matters. Not if they look cool or they look long or they look athletic. Cool. Or, like, let's how do they impact the NBA game? And that's where I think a lot of people that are analyzing the draft they get kind of lost and they start getting into la la land with oh my god he does this and oh my god he does that he can do this at the next level well what is it that he's doing at the next level literally uh, show me show me the guy in the league his spot that he's taking and prove that he's worth taking x player spot that's in the league right now and that's what point, it is right and to your point dan i mean jackson hayes won eighth the guy who went 31st, Nick Claxton, if you were to ask the Lakers today, hey, do you want Jackson Hayes or Nick Claxton? They're taking Nick Claxton every single time. So it, that's where you find the value. So I I, I think everything. And Claxton was more interesting. And, you and know, back then he was different. 
you know, yeah. the, yeah, but he was more interesting with some of the uh, other skills that he was able to show in college. Anyway, Mr. Ray in the comments that I never understood the pick to begin with it's supposed to be the answer next to a six, six non-shooting power forward in Zion, like two non-shooters at the four and the five. Right. So yeah, look, there is a lot. And uh, going back to the fuel stuff, Kai Jones, right? Like that's a dirty dancer in, in the comments says, you know, like, like Dan saying, you have to be able to think the game. And I think Missy, um, I think Missy is a guy that is going to continue to start like rising up boards. He he oh, he already is like he was forty eight on the first iteration. Now he's got a, a stock of twenty six, so he's just gonna I, I think rise up. Um, and he probably has a ceiling for all the reasons that you mentioned. But this is a guy that I think is going to be in that fifteen to whatever range in this draft for sure. And um, that's okay because the slotted money there is not that bad. It's not that bad. At fifteen no. to thirty, it's it, in the new CBA, especially. It's not a bad risk here. Now, if this is two years from now and the, and the new CBA is in, and I'm you know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think that next CBA is going to be down. You know, we've had all these years of up. There's going to be a down. I think it comes after the CBA. But in that money movement, it is a great investment here to take a shot on somebody that's like Missy or if you think a, a big is there because they're overall they're going to be cheaper over time with the new CBA until their extension. So it's a it's a good it's a good time to take risks. Absolutely. All right, moving on to, you know, our back end 30 to 60 range. Let's look at the 31 through 40 range. We have Marquette's Tyler Kolek, uh 32, we have Zach Eady. 33, Kylan Boswell. 34, Adembona. 35, AJ Mitchell. Uh, 36, Kobe Johnson. 37, Carlton Bub Carrington. 38, Melvin Ajinka. 39, Alex Tui. And at number 40, we have Alex Caravan. Um, Albert, who is your favorite of that particular grouping? Uh, <laughs> tough question. Drum roll. Uh, probably the hardest question of the night. <laughs> I know you have. I know you like a couple of guys in that group. I mean, yeah, no, for sure. Like, I, I love Alex Tui, um, a guy that you know for the Sydney Kings, who I wrote about, a guy that I think is, in my opinion, getting slightly undervalued just because he's not that exciting, um, but a guy that I think can hash out a role in the NBA just because of his size, the toughness that he plays with, and he's just you know fundamentally such a sound player um, that I think you know if you if you're talking about you know having a three off the bench, a three or three slash four with his length, size all that stuff and i think what he, as he's developing as a shooter all that stuff i think why not take a chance on a guy like that especially if we're talking about this range where we're talking about early second round i'd have no problem taking a guy like alex Tuhi. um bub carrington i think is a really interesting name uh intel i've gotten is that uh nba teams are interested in him but i know that he's um he can be uh divisive a little bit uh as a prospect and we cory he's a guy we've talked about a little bit um just because of uh you know He's got he's got some scoring juice to him, but also some big red flags slash question marks, right? So he's someone that's going to be interesting to watch. But he's a guy me, who really needs a, an, another year of school. I agreed, agreed. But also have to wonder if you know maybe people around him pushes him into this year just because the weakness yeah, of the class. Who knows, right? Yeah. But anyway, for me, too, he's a guy I think that's getting slightly undervalued, but I could see him going in this range as well. All right, Dan. What uh, what about you? Anybody in this this Kolek, Edie, Boswell, Bona, Mitchell, Johnson, Tui, Ajinka, Caravan grouping that you know you kind of like as a, a second round flyer? So, 
shout out first to Melvin uh, Agensa, who is the uh, near relative of the legend Alexi Agensa. So just shout out to Lexi. Um, I'm not a fan of many of these guys in terms of like value, right? Because I, I, I think if you actually go down one more, Corey, if you could just go yep. down one more guy. There's a guy there named PJ Hall who oh, has yeah. really like, obviously he's 41. He is not 41. He's about 2022 20, right now. Yep. And I'm just saying it because his name's there. And we didn't mention him with the other bigs that were coming stretch four. Stretch, you know, stretch forward who can like he competes, he's tough, he's strong. I was not high on him, to be honest with you, coming into this. And now that I've watched him and he is he carries Clemson through the these they go through these drudges on offense. And it's like he picks them up and takes them out and then they just get back on their way. And I think guys like him, his shot has gotten so good. And obviously it's been good, but it's gotten really, really good. I think guys like him are guys you take flyers on. Don't have a lot, of, a ton of upside in terms of like athleticism and being better, but the dude works. He's going to be in shape constantly. He's going to hit threes and he can guard well enough if you get him at 24 to 35, somewhere in there, right? Also, um, and again, I don't, I didn't see him on there. I wasn't sure where, but Oso from Marquette, uh, I, I like him. I think he's got some room to grow there. Um, Clintman, I'm actually, I, I, I like Clintman. I'm not sure when does he see the floor is my question because obviously if he's going to be a second round pick, I'm probably putting him and depends where he is drafted. I'm probably putting him on a two way, right? If he's 43, probably trying to put him on a two way. If I can at 30, they're probably going to get slotted money, but he's still going to play in the G league. Right? So, you know, does, does Bobby come over right away? Like, I don't know that I've heard what happens to him where he goes. So does he just stay in Europe for another year and then you just stash him and then you try to bring him back on that? It could be a good, you know, draft for that. Um, a guy, another name that I didn't see on here was De Silva. Um, I didn't see him anywhere. Did I miss him on the list yeah. here as we're going yeah, through? He okay. Was, uh, he was 30. Okay. He I mean, I think, 30. I think that's a solid, like, if you're looking for a second round guy, I think, I think he's a good solid prospect that you can you know hopefully turn into a role player you know obviously you want him to be you know if it's possible you want him to be in the Kenrich Williams mold he's a little bigger than Kenrich but yeah I don't know that he has the skills but that's what you're looking for at these picks right looking for a guy who can come in and play and just do something and Kenrich came in and he hit threes he rebounded and he played defense and like those are great role player you know Things to do. I mean, he played defense and rebounding, I should say, way more. Um, but, I mean, there's just a lot of guys like this. Once you get down here in any draft, you kind of, like, start shooting stuff. And, you know, you're just trying to figure out who it is. Like, like Kolick, for example. Mm-hmm. Tough as nails. I mean, he's probably a journeyman guy. He'll, you know, he'll probably get a contract where it's multi-years. Because um, people, some coach out there, whether it's Miami uh, like I could see him in Miami, quite honestly. I think he would fit their toughness. I think their discipline, things like that. I think Miami's a good spot for him. Obviously, I don't know if Miami's going to be there at that point. But, um, you know, I like him. I Do I love him? No. But if you are picking 31 to 45 and he is there, why not take a flyer? 
Like I'm starting to take flyers on guys who can fit systems and who will have long careers and who will, I'll be able to do something with them day one other than just send them down to the G league. You know, I, I, I think, I think if there's anybody, it's probably Kolick who can do that. Um, As a coach know. will play him. A coach will trust him. Yeah, some like coach will like him. Like uh, Detroit would like him, uh, just because he's tough. He doesn't, you know, he'll he'll mf you up the floor. You know, he's got an edge. You know, there's there's a lot to him that you like. Yeah. But again, Maybe he won't what's, make a lot of mistakes. Right. He'll protect the yeah. ball. Like his his, in my opinion, the way for him to have a long NBA career is you play with toughness, you knock down some shots, and you defend your literal tail off as much as you can. And if he can do that, he can have an eight-year, seven-year, eight-year career, or he could go to Europe and probably play for someone like, I think Panathinaikos would be a really good fit for him. I don't know that Real would be or Barcelona, but uh, Red Star is another good one. Like The way they play would be really good for him. So They can really use him this year. Obviously, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying like, there's it always doesn't have to be NBA or bust with everybody. You know what I mean? Like he could go to Europe probably and have a 10 year career and he'll play for Ephes and he'll play for all these guys. And, you know, I'm just throwing teams out, but, you know, he'll yeah. play for three teams and he'll make, uh, you know, eighty five million dollars over his career. That's not so bad. Not so bad. You know, and you get to travel the world and do that. Or you can slug it out here in the league and try to get minimums and try to get some guaranteed money, try to get a two plus one by year three. Like. You know, as soon as your extension comes up, like those are that's the type of mindset I think he could have. And if he's doing what I what is really what is needed in the NBA from him as a backup point guard, a third guard who's just physical, not turning the ball over. He can run pick and rolls. He can find divers. He can find, you know, he can hit the snap pass over the top. Like if he can do that stuff, he'll always have a place. I mean, Ramon Sessions made a career out of just getting to the rack and being able to make easy passes like and defended. Not so great. And he still had a long career. So look, if forgotten Villanova legend New York Nick, Ryan Archie Diacono could be mm. hanging around in the league for as long Shout as out Ryan. One has. of my favorite guys. Uh, uh, Ryan, if you're listening, <laughs> it's my guy. I, I Ryan's great. Chicago uh, Ryan's Bulls great. legend, New York Knicks legend. But he does he, it, it's pretty simple with Ryan. I mean, somebody like Ryan, he doesn't do dumb stuff. Right. He doesn't do careless stuff. And he can run your team. He can go in, and if he's wide open, he'll hit a shot. And if you you just tell him where you want the ball, and he goes, okay, here, I'll put it here. Never going to complain. Yeah. No, we'll do we it. TJ McConnell's been around forever. Pritchard's a good comp. Somewhere. That's yeah. a good, and I'm not like that is a good comp in my opinion for him. I think he's version two. Right. Yeah. Send him to Indiana. He'd fit in there. Um, all right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think so PJ anymore. Ball, <laughs> Um, after PJ Hall, we have we're getting into the weeds here, Corey. <laughs> Baba Miller is still on this list at 42. Juan Nunez at 43. Wuga Papla at 44. Ademara still on this list at 45. Dylan Mitchell at 46. Dylan Jones at 47. 48. We have Bakomi Dadier at 49. Harrison Ingram and at 50. AJ Johnson, who is down under uh, with the Illawarra Hawks in the NBL. So, um, Dan, keep pushing to 60. <laughs> Give me somebody from that group. Baba Miller, Juan Nunez, Wuka Poplar, Ademara, Dylan Mitchell, Dylan Jones, Comey, Dadier, Harrison Ingram, and AJ Johnson that you think is a little interesting. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, 
L- listen, listen. I, I mean, I've I've seen all these guys on film. They're going to be all of these guys. There's because there's no one really that stands out to me when I watch them. If they do go, it's going to be really hard for them if they go now. Some of these guys who are underclassmen might be better off, you know, going back for another year or staying in the NBL, whatever that is, you know, because I'm looking at my mock like at this point, I'm going Bronny. I am going uh, Carlton, Carlton Carrington. I'm going uh, Adam Bona if he comes out. And I know Bona's having struggling. I, I get that. But at 45, the upside is too much. Like, I'd rather just take a shot. At that point, right? Like, but Bronny James is on my radar at this point. Um, He'll be on this list on the next time. I think boards are slow to get him back on because he's coming yeah. back. He's got the health sure. concerns. So I think being cautious, but he's been good. DJ Wagner's on my list at this point. Like guys who have an elite skill. He has an elite elite skill. Let's not forget that. Like he still can score that thing. And you know, there's a place for that. Um, I mean, you could put Neat Clifford out here. You can put Ware out here. Like, I'm just literally going through my top 75, going any of these guys, literally from 45 to 75. And it's that's a lot of drafts, but just this draft especially, because just say Bronny comes out and he plays extremely well, Bronny could all of a sudden in, in three months, four months, five months, he we could be look, talking about him at 29. You know, we really could. I think we're going to. Right. So so these are the guys that uh, another guys, you know, Trey Alexander from Creighton. Like these guys are all out there who um, at that point, I'm taking most upside guys that I can that have good intel. They have good um, work ethics and they're willing. Jared McCain. There's another one like Jared McCain's another one at that point. Yeah. I can literally just keep naming my, you know, 45 through 75 here, and it could really be that. So all the prospects, if I had to pick, I guess Johnson, uh, if anybody that I like for any type of upside, I think think he has a shot. I think he hurt himself a little bit this year, honestly, going there. I think it hurt him more than it helped him. But um, I think it hurt his draft stock. But I think, and that's what we're talking about. I think, right. I think it may ultimately make him a, Better player. better player. I don't know if a better, Great. but I think it might help us down the line. I saw him last year with on the same court as Dillingham, Castle, DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards, who, however many else, you know other McDonald's guys or whoever. He was the best player on the floor. It wasn't even close. Well, you're also talking about a bunch of second rounders right now. <laughs> no, mostly, uh, <laughs> um, I'm just, like and I'm not you, trying to I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. Like these are yeah. all. I mean, the Justin Edwards is your borderline first round guy now. I mean, Castle, you, if we, I, if, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, Castle, Dillingham. there you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, well, yeah, Dillingham, but that's what I'm saying. Like, majority are second rounders, and you have yeah. some first rounders, but you know, I, I, I struggle when it, again, I kind of go back to my philosophy of physical tools here in the second round. Who's got them? Who can get longer? You can't teach length, you can't teach athleticism, but you can teach skill. You can get guys in and put them like San Antonio. They even put Wemby in a box, and then once he gets good at those two or three things, they make the box bigger, and then the box gets bigger, right? So you can control that to an extent. But you know, if if it's me and we're sitting here and Bronny James is there and I'm at 42, I'm taking him. Like I have no, there is no doubt in my mind I'm taking the kid. 
yeah, he's he's good. And he was very impressive at uh, the whole week at, at the Hoop Summit. Um, his bodyguard, I feel like, almost killed Albert and I at one point. Yeah. But uh, outside of that, we had a great Bronny experience the whole week. Don't um, get killed. A name, a name that you did, you mentioned that um, I love and, and fans of the show um, is a name that you need to pay attention to. And we have some interesting stuff coming down the line with him. Neat Clifford, who is just not getting any love um out there and he absolutely rocks like this is a dude who you know i think people are slow to adapt because multi-year college guy but like talk about a guy who could do a little bit of everything awesome defensively real plays his tail off and Mm -hmm. is playing for one of the better college teams in basketball right now um get on board because he's not on this list right now but he made our last mock and he's going to be higher on that mock the next time we do it. I'm willing to bet. Um, so he's a guy we're excited about at no ceilings. Um, if you were to, if you were to ask Trey Alexander uh, where Nick Clifford should be on this board, he'd tell you somewhere <laughs> on this board. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah Nick ate, ate his lunch, man. So <laughs> and defensively at least. Yeah. I'm sure we're wrapping up here. I mean, we could talk about this all day, but just some names that I do that we didn't touch on that I think viewers or listeners should really start watching if you're not. Um, obviously, I already talked about Missy. I really think you. I, I think people should really de- dive deep on him. Uh, we talked. We didn't talk about Dalton Necht. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I like him. I don't love him, but hey, you know if he can if he can come and make shots and be an elite you know shooter. I mean that's that's phenomenal. Um, we didn't talk about the Weber State kid at all. Dylan. Dylan Jones. Yeah, he was in that last group. He was in that last group. Oh, we was he? Okay, I, I missed yeah. him if I, if I if I saw that. Well, I yeah. went. It was it was Dylan Mitchell and then Dylan Jones, so we might have. Oh, okay, I might have seen just the Dylan part of it, but yeah. that's you know, a guy who really is moving up fast. I mean, I think people just really like his development, and it shows how much he's worked on his body and how much he's put into it. And in this draft, I will tell you, like it counts in any other draft, but in this draft, it will literally move your stock up if. Because a lot of these are ties, right? A lot of these guys are ties, and the tie has to go to the runner in the case in in most cases, right? But you want to be the runner, and how do you become the runner? Improving yourself, staying fit, getting your body better, staying in the gym, having a a a presence about you that is positive, and you're willing to work, and you want to win. That will literally move you up, especially if you're in that late first. It might move you to twenty. 18 and we're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars that just being a good dude and working hard can make you. And look, and you talk about a good dude, talk about a worker, talk about a kid who lives, eats, breathes basketball. It's Dylan Jones. Um, Another kid I've had the pleasure of, you know, being in uh, a gym with watching him work out. Albert and I, we saw him at the Nike hoop summit. And I think that's really where he first started to turn heads with the executives um, playing for the the Portland Generals against that uh, Hoop Summit team in, in, in those two scrimmages and just really stood out, you know, as professional, like on the court skill set, then absolutely bodied the pre-draft process right. last year. Like G League Elite Camp to the Combine. And it's funny, he, he initially was not on that Elite Camp list and i was in the gym with him when he had found out that he he wasn't on it and he's you know in the gym with a couple of other guys who found out they're going to the combine or they're going to the elite camp and 
you could tell like what that did to him as a worker that day where he, there was no talking. It was work. It was just straight work. Like, and then he obviously he got his shot and he proved why he was, you know, felt like he was being slighted. He has a chip on his shoulder because he's being doubted. You know, the, there are, are guys who are like in his ear, you got to transfer, you know, like you're not going to get noticed where, you know, like, and he's like, no, I could, I'll get noticed. I'll do it my way. Right. And, and I think he probably learned a lot of that from Dame um, going to Weaver state, like that mentality, picking that up from him. But yeah, this is a kid who I think is in this draft in particular. I mean, you talk about do it all. He's averaging over 10 boards a game. He's shooting 40% from three, 20 points, five assists, like, Always been a good steals guy. Not the most athletic dude on the floor. No one's ever going to try to sell you on that. But, but crafty. he's crafty. He, crafty. He, smart. He look at look at that highlight right there. If, if you guys yeah. are watching, he, his probing ability mm-hmm. is Patient. elite. It is elite. And if you can probe in the NBA, you can break defenses down. Yeah, and he's long. He measured really well. And, and if you want to hear how he thinks the game, he had my favorite film session that we did at No Ceilings last year where he was so into the process and he was like, oh, pause it right here. Pause it right here. So this is what I'm looking And you could just, the kid can think the game, you know, so well. And that's why he's productive in all these different areas, right? And he plays hard. Can't say enough good things about Dylan Jones. Um, I, I agree with you. He's going to be, he's going to be a riser um, for sure. I think, I, I, I think, I'll be honest with you. In my opinion, Oklahoma City will be after a guy like him. Oh, he's an Oklahoma. And they, and I, I think they. I think they're slotted at twenty four right now. I think it is. I think that they. The market for him as we get closer to the draft in terms of agent workouts and team workouts and things like that. Once they really get to talk to him, you know, those interviews are the most important parts of the combine and when guys go to teams that's the most important part is the interview it's not the on-court stuff everybody already sees them like i don't have to i don't have to watch you know 30 times to you know know he's a good player like i but that interview is super important it's super valuable so he's going to interview extremely well so a guy like him in this draft it can really shoot up and next thing you know he's 18 and oklahoma city is trading capital to get to 18 to get a guy like him who fits what they're trying to do, right? So, um, and again, I know we're wrapping up on time here, but those are just some names that I felt like, you know, we should really touch on because they're the ones that are catching my eye. And, um, you know, we'll see how Bazellus moves forward. The <laughs> I'm going to pun here, but the ball is in his court. And, like, if, if Bazellus can take literally top three spot if he turns it up the rest of the year. He literally can, but that can be said for Holland. If he, you know, if the Ignites start getting serious about what they're doing, like in their development, not the, you know, whether it's the team or the players, I don't know what it is, but it looks like garbage right now. Yeah. But, you know, I would say, listen, Cody, if it's me, number one, I'm taking probably Jacoby Walter today. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't hesitate to take Cody Williams either. I am not taking a big who does not impact the game. He's not Dirk. He's not Akeem. He's not Shaq. He's not Dwight. And this isn't a knock on him. I want to make sure I say that. Like, I love his game. I think he's very good. I just think at one, you can't take a big like that unless he's Dwight Howard or Blake Griffin or Victor Wembenyama. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Look, we talked about all the reasons why it might be hard to to do that, but this is a draft of wild cards. We're probably going to be having these same debates. 
months from now. Um, and then we'll debate, you know, the post process, you know, in like hell and summer league. So <clears throat> we know that this never ends. And, and as maybe lackluster as the, the overall top tier talent might be, it, this might be one of the more fun draft processes from a, a you know, analysis perspective, because it's like, this is going to, we're going to really get to see who is putting in work and understanding where the league is headed. And, and it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And, you know, shout out to everybody in the chat who's been participating the entire time. Um, crazy amount of comments. So shout out to all of you guys listening um, on the replay, on the podcast feed. Make sure if you're watching live, you, you like, you subscribe, you share, all that good stuff. Five stars on your podcast feed. Rate, review, subscribe to that. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. And we got some other stuff coming down the pipe that's going to be very fun, including something potentially with that Colorado, Colorado State prospect. So stay tuned into that coming up soon. And uh, until next time, we're out. Peace. Peace.